0: Well, good morning. I've got to be completely honest with you. I'm trying something new. Usually I use paper up here. I'm using an iPad today. I know, going crazy, right? My honest concern is that I'm I'm going to lose my place still somehow, but that's fine. That's fine. Well, good morning. If you guys would, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're checking out verses um, 25 to 34 today. Already first mistake I've made. I'm not even at the top of my sermon. Awesome. This is going to be great. This is going to be good. Well, like I said, 25 to 34, we're jumping back into God's word and continuing in this, this study, this, this exploration of Jesus and the kingdom of God. And so we're, we're sort of finishing out um, a look at Jesus' teachings before we move on to, to Jesus' works. And so this, this is the last week we'll look at uh, one of his real like, core teachings. Um, but before we do that, if you have spent any time with kids um, of any young age, I'm sure that you've experienced this thing that I'm going to call the what-if phenomenon. And here, here's what I mean. That's where a child will, will be talking about some random situation that starts with what-if. In our house, it looks like this. Um, what if daddy keeps growing so tall that his head hits the ceiling? And of course, I, I, say, to myself, I say to her, I say, that'll never happen, trust me. That'll never happen. Of course, what, is, what was the response I get? Yeah, but what if it did? And of course, you're just rolling your eyes going, no, no, this is not, how do I, how do I end this conversation? Well, sometimes they, they become more realistic, um, kind of like the other day, uh, I think it was last fall, We're driving past one of the fields going down 19, and Linnea says to me in the car, she says, what if our car just drove into the field? And I'm like, oh, goodness. While I consider myself a competent driver, that might be a little more realistic, right? And so it's a little more realistic than me, like, growing four extra feet and hitting the ceiling. Well, the other day in the car, Megan and I, um, the three of us were driving, back home from Indy or something like that, and a similar conversation began to happen, but it was different. This conversation was, what if you die? Which Megan and I are both in the car, so we kind of piece together that she's, she's trying to understand what happens if both of us die. And it was one of those different what ifs. This was a what if that began to consume her. I I was sitting in the back seat next to her in her car seat, and and she grabs my arm and squeezed really tight. And just over and over again, it was, I don't want you to go, which gets me going just thinking about it. But there are two things that she's worrying about. Number one, losing us. But the second thing is this, not knowing what's going to happen to her. We've got to be honest, it's a real situation, right? This could really happen. And while it's not extremely likely to happen, it's something that she was fixated on. It was something that she was worried about. But just telling her, don't worry, is not going to fix it. So what we did is, any good loving parent did, is we sat her down, we kind of help her understand, and in a way that that she understands, that we've got plans for this situation. And that as her parents who love her immensely, the weight of caring for her was not on her shoulders, but ours. Her job is to trust us in this. And this whole this thing's been playing in my mind the last two weeks as I studied for our time today, because our passage speaks exactly to what she's doing. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we do not need to worry because the weight of caring for our lives isn't on our shoulders. Our job is to trust God and what he does. Let's, let's look at the passage. I'm going to start reading for us. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Or can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. These. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here one day and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what should we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. God, you are faithful to us. God, and your word shows us that. Our experiences confirm that. Lord, as, as we look at your word, work in our hearts cause us to surrender and submit ourselves to you more and more, I pray. Amen. So, two things as I'm trying to recover right now, so forgive me. Two things that we need to understand. First, I have to be on, oh, thank you. Here we go. Oh. So, that's really funny because in Megan and I's wedding, this exact same thing happened. So, so let, I'll start over. The last couple weeks as I've studied this passage and prepared to pre- preach this morning, I have, honest to goodness, ironically, been utterly worried. And I'm not worried about, you know, standing up here, not worried about actually saying words. My, my concern has been is I have wanted to address by name every worry each and every one of you and I have using this passage. I want to be specific, and I was struggling over thinking, what if someone has this? How can I address it? What if, how can I speak to this? What if I miss something and leave someone with questions? Maybe you guys saw this before I could. So if you did, great. You saw a lot quicker than I did. But what I was doing is I was just seething and sitting in my concern, my worry. My worry that I wasn't going to be able to do this well enough. Finally, I realized, and this I, I kid you not, this is like last night, Probably after Linnea is going to bed, I'm running this through my brain going, You gotta be kidding me. I realize I'm trying to put the burden of changing your hearts and mine on myself. But that's the Word of God's job. And so I need to trust God and what He's gonna say. And so what we're doing today is we're looking at this, this passage because Jesus gives us a few examples, but not the whole spectrum of worry. Not because it doesn't exist, but because the answer is the same. Trust your master. Let's look at this. Well, second of all, let me do this. Let me, let me sort of lay out for us a working definition for worry so that we're all on the same page. So this idea of worry that we're going to be talking about is, is where there is a concern for the unknown or, or the future situation that consumes our thoughts and our subsequent actions. Or another way to say it is excessive concern for something that takes over. Does that make sense? Are we okay with that? So that's what we're working on right there. So let's look at verse 25. As we look at verse 25, there is a word that should jump out to you. And if you're in the middle school or the high school, you should be already seeing it. It's the word therefore. And what question do we ask when we see therefore? What's it there for? And that's because there's some context that we need to understand. If we, if we look at the broader context of, of where our passage is, it's in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus' whole goal of his Sermon on the Mount is to paint the picture of living in the kingdom of God. And so we've got to understand as we approach it that, that what, what Jesus is teaching us is how to be c- uh, citizens in that kingdom. And so that's the broad picture. And then as Christ followers, as Christians, we are citizens of this kingdom through Jesus' work on the cross. And as citizens, we're called to live in such a way that gives evidence that God is our king and our master. So that's the broad picture of the Sermon on the Mount. Next is this, is that the therefore is there because today's passage is actually directly connected with the one right before it. In, in these two sections together, what Jesus is doing is he's painting a picture of how to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and how it works out in our earthly lives. And so what he's doing is, is in the in previous passage, he's, Jesus is calling us to choose a master, God or money. He's saying that you you cannot be led by both. And so we have to choose choose what is going to control our lives. And so when we see this therefore that connects the two sections, it should be read kind of like this. If you are choosing God as your master, then do not worry about your life, what you will eat what you will drink, what you will wear. Because like when we were trying to help Linnea understand why she didn't need to worry, Jesus is helping us to do the same thing. Because we have a loving Father that knows what we need. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, get, get this in our mind. See this picture. Enjoy this. We have a king who looks out for our best interests. We have a Father that cares for us immensely. And I I, want to emphasize those two things because I think there's a temptation to think that when we hear things that that sound like, oh, don't worry, we have a temptation to think, well, God doesn't care. And the simple truth is that's, that's not true at all. Jesus doesn't tell us not don't worry just because he's tired of hearing it. He says, don't worry because I've got it taken care of. You see, that, that's, that's what we so, so often miss. And if we've got this God who takes care of us, then what is it about us that causes us to worry? And I think Jesus tells us point blank. Like, I, I, I told Megan earlier this week, I was like, I wish Jesus had rearranged these things so they fit better in my sermon, but we'll just let, let him do his thing. <laughs> because Jesus tells us point blank towards the end of our passage today, In verse 30, he tells us this. Look with me. He says, Will he not much more clothe you, you of what? Great faith? Little faith. And so when the storms of worry, whatever that might be, come at us, we forget to put our full trust in God. And I'm, I'm speaking to myself, too, 100%. But what Jesus does then is that he gives us these three, like, assessments to use to know if we trust that God cares for us. And that's, that's what we're going to jump into. So look at, look at me with verse, uh, verses 25 and 26, and then he actually kind of repeats it in 28 through 30. It says this, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. It is, not, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap, or store away barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus is calling his listeners to trust God for their very real needs. For the original listeners, food and water were extreme concerns. I mean, these people were often day laborers, and so at the end of each day, they would get paid their money, and that's how they would get their food for the day. Well, what would happen when the job finishes or the weather's no-go or we can't do it for whatever reason, an injury, a sickness, that kind of thing? Those, those burdens start getting on on them, right? I think we can feel that, too. I know when I worked at an hourly wage, often I was like, man, i got to make sure I work, otherwise I can't provide. Well, that was just me worrying again, you know, me thinking about it. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. But it's a really real concern. I mean, think about it. For you and I, food and drinking and clothes are pretty well available. But for these people, it was not so. But I don't think that the truth of Jesus that he's speaking here doesn't apply to us because it applies to us just the same. Because God is there for our utter core needs. In verses 26 and 28 and 29, you can see Jesus likes to repeat himself. Jesus is describing how God provides for the birds of the air and the plants on the ground and then turns it around. And he uses this, this, this sort of thing to help us understand, are you, not normal, are you not more valuable than they to God? Verse 30 says it this way, if that is how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and gone tomorrow or thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Jesus does this thing to build his argument, moving from the least to the greatest to emphasize how much more God cares for his people. If if God took the time to clothe the plants in the ground in beauty, plants that are alive today and used for cooking tomorrow, how much more does he take care of us, his eternal son and daughter? I, I think the Apostle Paul agrees in Romans 8. Paul says it this way. He says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, graciously give us all things. I think we need to follow the logic here real quick. So God's Word is telling us that God takes care of the insignificant things, and He took care of our greatest need, the plants and the forgiveness of our sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus, so that we could have the right relationship with Him again. He took the least He took care of the least, he took care of the greatest. So why in the world would we think he wouldn't take care of the in-between? This is exactly what Paul and Jesus both are saying, is that God takes care of the least and the greatest, and guess what? Everything else in between. This is the God that we serve. This is the God who is our master. If God takes care of those little things and those huge things, of course he'll take care of everything in between. Rock Prairie, as Christians who have a loving master that we can trust, know that he will provide for us. The second thing that we see is in verse 27. Jesus calls us to to trust God to sustain our lives. 27 says, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? He's literally asking, like, like looking at this as, as, as in, the, in the original language, he's asking, can we add time or, or, or distance or years to how we live by worrying? There is a great search for the fountain of youth. I think Pastor Dave and I were talking about. It doesn't take us long to look around in our current cultural climate to see that there is a, an obsession with elongating life. In fact, in 2020, I learned that um, the worldwide health and wellness market brings in about $4 trillion a year, $4 trillion a year. And I'm not, I want to make sure it's clear, I'm not speaking out about exercising or taking care of your body. This is not what I'm saying. I think God created us to need exercise. I think God created us to take care of our bodies, and He calls us to do that. What I'm talking about is the obsession over it. The constant worrying about being at our peak physical shape in hopes of looking good and staying off death. Jesus points out in 27 that the ability for us to add time to our lives doesn't exist, it isn't in our control. So we don't need to obsess over it. Job 14 even tells us that God has our days numbered, He knows those days, He knows what's going to happen. You see, not only is God our provider who gives us what we need, he is also our sustainer. Genesis 1, Psalm 139, and many others speak to the fact that God is our creator and our sustainer. He is the one that breathed the breath of life into us, and he continues to do so. Jesus is making it clear that our worry cannot at a moment to our lives. And in fact, funny enough, research is showing us worrying about our lives is actually shortening it. So that, that's, that's extra. That's extra. So what am I saying? Go, take walks, run the Rock Quarry 5K, do manual labor, eat well, take care of your body, but don't obsess over trying to prolong it because it's God's job as our sustainer to give us life, to give us life, well, thirdly, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus calls us to trust God with our future. Look at verse 34. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus' words here should challenge us to keep our minds in today, to keep our minds here. Keep your minds on the things that you have right in front of you right now. I, I don't know about you, but I know for me all too often my mind loves to run off and play out future situations, things that I have no control over. Often those thoughts, for whatever silly reason, come to me between about 11 p.m. and 3 a.m. <laughs> I wake up thinking about something stupid. Often it's like, how is this conversation going to go tomorrow? Or, or what if I forget to reach out to this person? Or how will tomorrow's plan work out? Will these people be able to do this? Again, what if, what if, what if? It is exhausting. And not just because it's 3 a.m., but because my mind is running, running, running. At these things, these things going through your mind. At one point earlier in life, though, it was actually happening like almost nightly for me. But I praise God for his word. Because in verse 27, this, this verse gave me this peace because it allowed me to begin to ask myself, can I do anything about that right now? Can I do anything about whatever is on my mind at this present moment? At 2 a.m.? No. In general, people do not like being texted at 2 a.m. But asking myself, can I change how a difficult conversation is going to go by worrying about it at 2 a.m. the night before? No. Do I know if this event will go well? No. And I can't change it, thinking about it. Can I control what my child does when I have to talk to her about bad choices that she's made? No. I cannot change tomorrow by worrying about it. I can do my best to be faithful to God in my marriage, in my parenting, and in my work today. And then wake up and do the same thing tomorrow. God knows how tomorrow will pan out. And that's just the truth. We know He loves us, we know He is still our King. And we know that he is in control of all things. So why do we worry about tomorrow? Church, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we can be sure that God knows our needs. We can know that he will provide for us, that he will sustain us, and that he has our future in his hands. Do you remember earlier how I asked you the question that since God cares about us and knows our needs, then why do we worry? I think it all comes down to trust. But I have two more questions for us, if that's okay. It's tough for us to ask this, but we've got to ask ourselves, is there some place in our lives that we are lacking trust in God? A place where worry continues to creep in, something that you wake up at, wake up thinking about at night? If so, Do a really hard check on yourself and ask yourself the question, what is it that I'm not trusting God with? What is it that I'm not trusting God? Because as Christ followers, when the storm of worry comes, we need to combat worry with leaning on God. And this is how Jesus says that very thing in verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things. Will be given to you as well. Jesus calls us to pursue God, to lean into Him, to trust Him as the King of our life, as the loving Father in our life. Church, God is our Master, and like any good parent, He knows and lovingly takes care of our every need. Our job, instead of worrying, is to pursue Him. And His kingdom. But what does that look like practically? Well, again, the Apostle Paul, I think, really hits the nail on the head with this one. He gives us this a practical approach to seeking God and worry in Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Many of us could quote this, but I'll read it for us. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Just a quick reminder for us. Paul writes this from prison. A prison system that provides no food, no clothing, and no hope for restoration. He implores us to be anxious about nothing. But instead what? Seek God. Do you think Paul had practice in doing this, or do you think he was just shooting from the hip? I think he had practice. He was practicing daily what he was preaching. As we seek God through prayer with thanksgiving, His peace, which we don't always understand, will guard our hearts and minds. And so, as as we close, I want to try to sort of Help us think of three ways that we can pursue him and his kingdom when worry creeps in. Number one is this. Like Paul says, focus on the master. Pray. Jesus conveys over and over and over again that as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, God is our master. And since God is our master, don't you think we ought to bring him our concerns? I think Paul agrees with Jesus when he instructs us to pray. And so when worry begins to hit, the first thing we should do is fall on our knees and give whatever it is over to God. Focus on him as master and remember that God is our provider, knowing our needs. He is our sustainer, giving us life. The future is not in our hands. He is the one on the throne. He is the one in charge. He is the one that sees it all in the big picture. The second thing, focus on his promises. (coughs) The Bible is full of promises that God has given his people, promises that are always for our good, promises that we can hang on to when we are full of joy, when we're full of sorrow, when we're full of worry. We would be here for hours talking about each of those individual ones, but I'll just give us two. All right? In the Psalms, it's repeated over and over this promise that the Lord is near. He's near to the brokenhearted. He's near to those who seek Him. God is near when the storm of worry comes. And that's a promise we can hang our hat on. Secondly, was... I was doubly assured of God's promises when I began to read Numbers. And and I know, random numbers, right? But Numbers 23, 19 says this, God is not a man that he should lie. And I don't mean like lie down, I mean like tell things falsely. He's not a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and I love this question, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Essentially, what he's saying is God is not like us. God doesn't make empty promises, God doesn't come short on his promises. He fulfills them because that's who he is. We can trust God with his promises because he is God. What he says, he does. Number three, and this one was one that I've, I've gotten into the practice of more and more as, as I've grown in my faith, is focus on his faithfulness. The first five books of the Bible are full of God making promises to his people and those promises being fulfilled. In the book of Joshua, right after the first five, God commands Israel to erect a memorial of 12 stones, one for e- each of the tribes of Israel. And God's purpose was as a reminder to them and a teaching point for the children of God's faithfulness to do what he said he would do. How has God been faithful to you in your life? This week, during, during life group time, we shared those ways that God was growing us during our life groups, or during, during the year. Have some of those growth moments come because of God's faithfulness? Make it a practice to, to think on, to reflect on God's faithfulness, and make a practice to let your kids see that. Our kids are, have, have a great opportunity to watch you recognize and point out God, and that was exactly what God told Joshua and, and the 12 tribes to do, so that your kids would know too. Are we pointing out our, God's faithfulness to our kids? That was one that challenged me, Honestly. Write things down. A prayer journal is great. It's a concrete way to help you reflect on God's faithfulness. I know for me, it's more difficult to sit there and write out word for word. So what I do often is write bullet point style. And after you write down your prayers, be sure to go back and write down also how God has answered those things. Having that is a great way to focus on faithfulness, the faithfulness of God. My family, we are tempted, or excuse me, when we are tempted to worry about something, when we feel the desire to not trust in God's goodness and faithfulness, let's remember to run to Him, run into His faithfulness, run into His goodness, and be at peace with His love because He is a good Father. He is a right Master. Let's pray.